Hello, and welcome to Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray. As the founder of the Bra Network, the Business Relationship Alliance, I have met some of the most inspiring women working as entrepreneurs, freelancers, founders, executives, and creatives, and I want to share their stories with you. So let's get carried away. So let's get naked. Let's get real raw. Let's feel very exposed. Don't be bashful. I'm not talking about your real clothes. I'm talking about getting really raw when it comes to your finances. There is power in the vulnerability and redefining of your relationship with money. That's why I have the unique pleasure of talking to Claire Van Hollen of the CV Ledger as we get carried away about all things naked finance. No, it's good to see you too. It's good to see you too. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen you since Women on the Rise, which was March, two months ago. <laughs> so crazy, right? So much has happened in the world in two months, more than I think in my forty-ish years of life. Yes, that's for sure. That is absolute sure. Boy, where do we even begin? <laughs> you know, it's, well, are you safe and is your husband safe? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. That, that we are definitely safe. Thank goodness. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear. And so are we. We're very fortunate um, that we aren't, we don't live near the Fairfax district, but I was reaching out to a couple bra members, Courtney, um, Paige, and Bree who are, and I was like, hey, are you guys okay? And luckily they weren't very close to what was happening either. Um, my heart goes out for those, those store business owners though with um, the looting. And I mean, I know the big companies like a Patagonia or Target, they've got plenty of insurance. They're gonna be okay. Absolutely. But, um, the smaller nail salons and um, the smaller, you know, like meditation dens or yoga studios, I, I'm worried about how, after being closed for so long, they've got a little bit of freedom and, and good news to open. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, no, now you can't open because there's looting. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. It, it brings to mind a handful of things and some of the topics that my other colleagues have been talking about, which I think is worth bringing up. Yeah. So in the case of something like this, and especially for people who perhaps have like some sort of brick and mortar, especially in a place where there is heavily like commercial, you know, brick and mortar places. Um, it's really important to make sure you have insurance. I know this is like maybe literally the most boring thing to talk about at this point in time, but guess what? With insurance, this is, this is why we pay for it because if we don't have insurance and something like this goes down, you want to be at least kind of covered. And if you're not, then, you know, now is the time to explore some level of, of insurance that protects your business, protects your liabilities and your, oh, your assets, I should say, protects everything that you've got to the business so that if something does get destroyed or demolished or stolen or anything above and beyond even what's happening right now, that you have some measure you know, some level that you can kind of fall back on that doesn't completely 
puts you at a loss. Right. Do you think it would be covered under vandalism? Do you think? I'm being curious. It it could, right? You know, and I think that every single insurance company is going to find a way to differentiate and make exceptions as much as possible to like not have to pay whatever claims that might be filed. But I would say that, you know, given the level of uncertainty at these times, this is absolutely the time to invest in insurance is terrible as, you know, I, it, it's not it's something not- to spend money on. It just, right. Isn't. Well, we think we're impervious, right? We think that won't happen to me. Um, I'll just, you know, make sure we have a great alarm system or something, uh, but that's not going to protect you in fire. Um, and I'm sure a lot of insurance companies are waiting for those magic words of, you know, state of emergency to then be like, okay, now we'll, we'll fill your claims. Um, I'm sure they're going to make all of these businesses do a dance just as most insurance companies do, because they don't want to actually pay you back the money you've already paid them. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So um, insurance is kind of the first and foremost thing. And most people don't realize that they should even service-based. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that, yeah, it might be covered by one thing or another, but um, to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, that you think about the worst case scenario. And this is what I always tell everyone. What is the worst case scenario that can happen? You have a customer, you have a client and they freak out or something super bad happens, do you have something in place that cushions you or saves you in some some way to keep you from just completely financially bottoming out? So, yeah. Um, and, and it's not are, sexy, but it's needed. <laughs> needed, it's absolutely needed. I mean, for myself, it was one of the first pieces of advice I got when I started my practice four and a half years ago, which was to get E&O insurance. And I was just like, I don't even at the time know what that is. But certainly there are some risks I'm taking with the line of work that I'm going into. And so absolutely, what are the things that I can do to safeguard my practice, my business that I'm building? And and I think that everyone absolutely has the right to do the same thing. Arm themselves with whatever information you have around what you can protect in case of a worst case scenario, which I feel like now. (laughs) Which is kind of what we're knee deep in and... Um, I know I formulated an LLC and I recommend having an LLC if you have assets, you know, because you really want to protect. I don't want people, you know, God forbid somebody have to sue Carrie Murray, but to sue Bra Network um, and not Carrie Murray and family. Um, So I I highly recommend if anybody, especially a freelancer is like, oh, sitting on the fence about S Corp, C Corp, whatever, do something. And just make sure it's insured. Yeah, 100%. I mean, someone sues you. You definitely, especially in the case of not having your own business entity, they could go after literally everything under your name. If they were crazy enough and they had the manpower behind them, that is a thing that can happen. And it could be the end of many people, right? Um, Yeah. Should that go down. And so as much as possible, you want to just try to separate everything in ways that you're not essentially putting all of your eggs in one basket. You're protecting one asset over the other. And maybe, you know, they're, they're in different places. One is under your social security number and one is under your FEIN, which is great. Um, I mean, I have a couple of folks 
um, clients in the music industry. And when I first started working with them, I didn't quite understand why they had money funneling into literally a million different places. And it comes to mind, we came to find out, or I came to find out that, you know, with the liability of songwriting and producing music, you use any single sample on a song or a track that you would have made, then, you know, say someone finds that sample and then they just come after you. Well, you want to make sure that all of your, maybe like your songwriting asset, you know, and revenue right. is on, you put that into a different place. And so it's going to kind of differ, you know, based on what industry, you know, the different protections sure. you can take to safeguard yourself. But at the same time, it is absolutely just, I, I drive the importance of really exploring that for everybody and what that means, because we're in uncharted times. We literally don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that is, you know, the absolute truth of it. So if we can do what we can to protect what we have and what we've built for ourselves, you know, for our businesses, you know, and protect our families in the long run, then that's, you know, the best that we can do. Small right. steps. It really is. And it's like what we can do right now. Right. Um, so if there was ever a time if you're feeling nervous about what's happening in the world and, you know, when the National Guard landed in L.A., I'm like, OK, so let's make sure the medical insurance is paid up. Let's make sure the home insurance is covered. Like you want to make sure you have all these systems in place because it literally is. I don't think it's like you're over being protective. It creates a sense of calm, like I'm good. We're okay, um, as opposed to people panicking. Um, so you lessen the panic if you feel prepared, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lessen the stress, lessen the panic. Have all of your ducks in a row. You know, whatever that means, insurances and, and just coverages. And just make sure that you are as strong to stand whatever could happen. Right. You know, and that I'm sure looks a little bit different. I mean, based on where you are, who you're with, and who you're living with, and just what whatever that situation might look like. I mean, the best that we can do is just to constantly safeguard our own protection. You know, physically, mentally, financially, um, all the fronts, really. Yeah, and when you see these, you know, we see all these businesses that have been closed for the last two or three months. Um, and I'm sure everyone's freaking about, about money. Where am I going to get, you know, did I get the PPP? Do I get the stimulus package? You know, if a business was lucky enough <laughs> to get the PPP <laughs> and uh, didn't have a revenue of 500 million um, already, you know, what would you recommend that they really do with that PP, P, PPP money? Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, well, first of all, the, the, the PPP loan was originally put in place to try to keep people in jobs, bodies and jobs constantly working. The, the conflict of interest that we run into is that the existing rules as they stand and the guidelines from which they're requiring people to spend that money are very stringent. My personal opinion of it is that whoever wrote that bill together and got it passed never actually ran a small business because <laughs> what they did take into account when they wrote that is that everyone, every small business I know, a small business owner I know at least, acted fast. As soon as this was all going down, especially to folks who knew that they were going to not make any revenue once lockdown hit, um, had to lay off staff, you know, so that their staff could essentially make a living, sustain themselves, you know, through unemployment. And so the conflict now comes with, 
now those employees of the small business are getting unemployment, but then we've got to spend this PPP money based on these allocations, which by the way, one of them is 75% running to payroll. And not only 75% running to payroll, but that payroll has to go to full-time employees. And at the very beginning of this, mind you, this was not written in stone. These rules have literally been created as we've gone along, which is yet another point of contention I personally have. But besides the fact, so 75% has to go towards payroll, towards full-time employees, and the remaining 25% has to be used towards utilities, right? So rent, power, gas, internet, telephone, mobile. I believe transportation might be in there. I, I'm a little iffy as to whether or not I would necessarily put that on the pot. Um, you know, and then there's a few other things, but as a general, those are the, you know, guidelines. Um, what I'm running into, especially for clients of mine who have shut down completely because they have no way of operating or, you know, their, their primary, you know, source of income is people through the door, um, is that those employees that they've all laid off or furloughed, you know, are now earning unemployment and actually making more money in some ways through unemployment than they were when they were employed, which I'm like, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, especially if they got the stimulus package. So now they're getting yeah. unemployment and the stimulus package and they're like, oh. well, great. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey man, like that, you know what? The system is working in your favor, more power to you. Absolutely. Um, so, so the other thing is, um, while, cause I just saw the question, um, on Instagram about whether or not payroll can go 100% towards payroll. Yes and no. So there's some caveats. There's there's all these rules, and it's it's almost like blinding and confusing to try to keep up with these on a daily basis. But um, in theory, yes, you can allocate 100% of payroll to, to or 100% of the loan towards payroll. But if you are a single owner like business, and you yourself are the only person on payroll, which in my case is the case, and say the calculation for your payroll exceeded a certain amount, let's say in 2019. The new rule is, as a single owner LLC, it doesn't say this is single owner, but but it does put a cap on the total amount that a single owner of any small business can actually pay themselves, which I believe is $15,384. Meaning if your payroll exceeds that within the eight-week period that we have to spend the loan money, then guess what? Too bad. You know what I mean? So you have yeah. to find other places, hopefully rent utilities, you know, that you might've been paying in 2019 that you can allocate it to. But if you weren't already allocating it to those things, the rent, the utilities, and now you just kind of go, oh, okay, well, let's, let's try it. That won't get forgiven. There's a lot of just like formulaic if and or but scenarios with this. So I, the way that I'm working on it with my clients is really just more on a case-by-case -case basis. Everybody is just a little bit different. Some people are super straightforward, others not so much, especially those with staff. So do you think they make it purposely confusing to make you jump through all these hoops so that they wear you out and just throw your hands up and be like, ah, I'm not going to do it. Are they kind yeah. of banking on that, that, that the overly so. complicated system? Absolutely. I mean, I think that while there is some intent behind it that wants to genuinely help small businesses survive, I think on the other side of it, um, you know, again, these people in government have never run a small business. We can just say maybe they have, but 
but we can just maybe assume that most likely they did not, right? right. They're in a government position. So they're, you know, coming up with policies and guidelines and, and it's like, unless you've been on the ground floor actually trying to build all something out of nothing, then you really have no clue about all of the different ways that one or several people could be running a small business. And there literally is a myriad of ways to do that. So, right. Right. It's so much. It's so much. And the clients that you work with that did some of them get the PPP? Yeah. So I've gone about maybe half of my clients who've gotten PPP and we're kind of just working to administer the, you know, the distribution of to make sure it falls under guidelines. So then ultimately as much as possible, no one has to pay the PPP loans back. Hopefully we'll see. Gotcha, gotcha. And did you help prepare that for your clients? I and did. For most of them, I did. part of your yeah. fabulous services <laughs> working with you? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a scramble. I mean, because, you know, we're already keeping track and eyes on um, the accounting anyways. So we know how the money is typically being spent. We can kind of run general calculations around, um, you know, how this money gets dispersed should they receive it. You know, and then based on the, the SBA's guidelines for even just determining how much you'll even get, you know, we, yeah, you know, we, so we did all of that. Oh, that's fantastic. So everybody keep that in mind. The next pandemic, make sure you work with Claire. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you about naked finance. Now, um, I would like to say that it was on a Winston Wednesday maybe a year ago when you had, you told everyone, I've had this idea. I, you didn't even have a name for it yet. And you were like, I'm stewing around on your like, and this is the year I'm going to launch it. And sure enough, here we are a year later and you did it. And when I saw that you, great name, by the way, Naked Finance is a brilliant name. Um, I did go to the workshop, which also was unbelievable. Thank you for that. It's, I think what happened in, you know, what I, in my experience working with entrepreneurs is when we get to the money part, it feels really icky. Um, and like I said, it's not sexy. It's not the fun, creative branding logo part, but I really think it should be something that should happen first before we come up with the great logo and the great taglines and the beautiful Instagram feed. I feel like we need to rethink and restructure how we dive into entrepreneurship and instead go from the place of how am I going to pay myself? Cause I ain't going to be making money for the first two to three years. Uh -huh. And we don't talk about it that way a lot. Um, so I feel like that might be because of our relationship with money. We don't want to talk about it. It feels uncomfortable. We have shame behind it, or maybe we didn't grow up in a household that talked openly about money. Um, you know, so I'm here. I feel like when I took your workshop, that was a big factor in Naked Finance. So before I keep going on, tell, first, tell us the brainchild. What, what brought you to this idea? Yeah. Uh, so when I, first of all, when I started my practice, I had no idea the level of emotions I would deal with from other people when we would talk about their money. It, it makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world. Um, but, but I didn't anticipate it, to be honest. It was like, well, I'll just Crunch your numbers, we'll get the thing out, we'll look at the, you know, we'll do the da, 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 da. Um, but every single time it was always, please don't judge me when you look at my numbers. Because part of my process is in order for me to quantify and just understand where anybody is at, I have to look at their numbers, I have to look at their bank statements, I have to see essentially everything under the hood. 
And so as soon as I learned to to get them to get naked, yeah, they're just like, oh my God, you know, it was just like, it's always these feelings of fear of shame. And I mean, I've had people get a little bit teary eyed on me and I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I don't judge you. Like I don't, I don't judge you. Like I don't judge anyone. Like this is just me trying to help you. But then it kept happening over and over again. And it really got me to thinking like, something is missing here. Like something is missing in this whole equation because even still, you know, and and I work with, again, a myriad of folks, but there sometimes with some people remains to be this, you know, this block, you know, and, and I know not to take it personally because I I straight up will have people go see by the way. And I know it's not me. I get it. I I totally get it. And I can only, you know, reach out so much until it's like, I'm I'm not going to like, babysit handhold stalk you um but at the same time i do want to address the elephant in the room which is how do we how do we talk about it first in a way that addresses this and with without me being formally like some sort of therapist or like formal money coach i think that if we can start to address things internally first like really really going back like in the same way that we go back to like accounting and how to set up a business when we're first starting a business, as opposed to the logo fun stuff, marketing, this goes back even further than that. This goes like, no, okay, I'm going to start this thing, you know, and I really believe in it, but what are my setbacks and where am I, where am I feeling anxious? Where am I feeling fear? Where am I feeling shame? Like, especially around money, because when you build something, the way in which you build it is the, is, is essentially like, how you were going to receive, you know, that your money eventually. Right. And, right. and if there's fear or anxiety or overwhelm, then anybody that you talk to about this business that you're building, that energy is going to transpire. And, and as, and try as you may, you know, put all the systems together and take all the courses to, to try to get the finance pieces together. If you're still holding this block, Literally, I can guarantee you have a high percentage chance that, like, that your method is maybe likely to fall because there's something in here keeping you from really, like, just kind of seeing it through and 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 seeing and and dealing with whatever it is that, that's kind of just like holding you down. What do you think contributes to that? You know, what factors do you think contribute to our relationship with money in general? I mean, I think it, it can stem back as far as childhood, you know, it can, it can be growing up in a household where you're being told no all the time, or it could be maybe a little less traumatic and just seeing someone, you know, someone you care about really go through the ringer and going, oh my gosh, I really, really don't want that to happen to me. And, and we internalize, we internalize those experiences maybe for ourselves if it isn't direct. We internalize all of these different experiences over the course of our entire lives. And, and sometimes we hold on to it. Sometimes we let go of it, but naked finance really works to address the letting go because yeah, it could be new. It could be something that just happened last week, you know, Um, or it could be something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. But I think it is not until we address really, 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 really address it that we can allow ourselves space 
to make more money, to be more successful. Right. And forward and upward. Yeah. And so when clients work with you and that's kind of the whole, you know, premise behind naked finance, right. Is getting raw about our feelings and emotions behind money, because you're right. I feel like if we're putting out fear and anxiety about, you know, spending money or lowering our prices because we think people won't pay us what we're worth, then that's just going to come right back to us. Right. We're just putting out, that's what we'll receive and, and the energy you talk about behind money. And so, so when clients work with you versus at 101, a group, how are you hoping that will, what will that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm opening it up. It, it used to be more like one-on-one kind of just working with clients on retainer, but I realize that not everyone can re- afford me on retainer, but I still want to provide help and empowerment and education. I possibly can and so for for certain folks I'm now kind of I'm, I'm now starting group sessions that yeah. allow us to kind of you know oversee the management of and and manage and just get our hands dirty right with my guidance and and week after week we're going to do the thing and everyone's got to do their homework and and so in this way I really do believe that to a degree even if you know eventually you really don't want to manage the accounting for your business or even personal stuff that you at least understand what goes into because if you don't know really how to do it then you leave a lot of liability and you know kind of just like blind trust in the person that you are handing the keys to your kingdom to and that's you know and and that's you know and I have clients who blind you know who I work with and you know but We'll always do them right. But you don't always know, you know, you just never know. And so as much as possible, do the thing until you know that you're like, okay, I get it. I don't like it. Here it is, somebody else, but this is how I want it done. Right. Empower yourself in that way so that yeah. you can always hold the keys to the kingdom, always have oversight on everything that's going on and, and be able to empower yourself to ask the right questions once you have handed those keys over. I love that. And it's kind of like, you know, when you're in high school, I was told, and it was honestly the last year they offered uh, sewing because they didn't have the budget to keep the machines and everything. And all, all of us girls went into sewing and then dance, but the guys got computers and accounting. We never got to co-mingle um, in, in, I wasn't even offered. And then I even remember back in like middle school being like, okay, can you teach me how to do my taxes? And they're like, no, 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 we're going to learn how to square dance. Um, like it's not something that's, it's it's not even like a California state education standard until you're in high school. And even then you get to pick, do you want finance or do you want accounting or do you want, you know, like chemistry? It becomes an elective when really it should be a requirement. Um, but yeah, and so I, I really think a lot of our relationship like you were saying, stems from first what we see and what we're exposed to. So if we're not exposed to um, doing our, you know, checkbook and what, how do we use a credit card? Like we are reading and writing, you're right. We're going to go in and just be like, here, just take it over or do it for me. Or we're going to be like, I, I don't want to look at it and get all upset and wonder why we're not making any money. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and the thing about this stuff is, it's not hard. Like what I'm doing isn't even really that hard. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, 
it's you maybe some of the reporting gets a little complex and, and all the math, but uh, but just the basic like maintenance of the thing and the exercise that the majority of folks go through at the end of the year to aggregate all the receipts and count the you know like you're spending three four days maybe a week to figure that out so you can hand it over to your tax person whether it's personal business or all of the above. It doesn't have to be that hard, you know, and then I can only imagine the level of anxiety because I used to do this too, the level of anxiety that you're approaching having to do that is like, oh, uh, uh, uh. hey, you know, maybe I'll clean my house instead, right? Like, I'd rather clean and scrub my toilet. <laughs> that sounds better. I have more control over that and I'm not as um, but but what? Yeah. But I always, and there's no shame in that, right? <laughs> there's no shame in that. But you know, it doesn't have to be that hard. And and it's it's little tools, it's little habits that we can kind of reprogram ourselves. And that's what the group work is. It's it's us in it together, in a group with you know like versus like people in a kind of similar situation, so that we can collaborate, bounce ideas off of one another to, you know, better figure out like what methods work because different methods for different people. Everyone operates absolutely differently, but we want all of the options to be visible. And I don't claim to have every single answer, right? I I know the systems in which we can do it. I know the methods in which I work with my team and for our clients, but you know, this is, this is an opportunity to kind of just like get it all out there and, and share like what some best practices and things that might've worked or not worked for others, you know, is, and, and doing it under the guise of, you know, the, the more vulnerable we allow ourselves to think about our finances, you know, and, and be exposed in this way. Um, the more power we give ourselves, the more power we take back for ourselves and the more power we give ourselves in control of our money. And, and it is the best feeling. Uh, it really is. I mean, there is like some level of catharsis that I think, or satisfaction, I should say, that some people will feel people, like folks who I, you know, have been working with for several years now, who I've kind of just trained one-on-one on. When uh, you mostly work with women, I imagine, do you have men in, in these groups at all? <laughs> I, I do mostly work with women. I do have, um, small, you know, a, a small percentage of them, but most of the men that I work with are just, managing all yeah what what's something you see when women are on the other side of this when they kind of go through they they have shredded their their issues with money they're now naked and raw they they've now feel empowered by the fact that they know how to work with you um what kind of transformation do you see at the end of it what what does it give them it's empowerment purely it is empowerment it is it is knowing it is empowerment through the, through control, you know, I mean, control of your own stuff. Like that, that's the best kind of power we can give ourselves, right? Is is just and knowing. that would be freeing, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. I, you know, and and as much as it, it's something that no one really wants to look at. You know, not put myself in this bucket too, because I go through those days. I know when my credit card bills are going to be higher, and I'd rather not look at it. But the only way to kind of get past it is to look at it. And, and, you know, and so at least with the workshops that I'm starting to do more often, you know, I just want to be able to give folks tools to get through that emotional like, block stop. Like, how can we just move past it and, and, and shed that, that emotion because it's okay. We can feel it until we need to move on and, and how can we move on productively? Yeah. 
How do you, um, like if the, to people that are watching or listening right now, how do they know they're ready to get naked? What are like some signs for them to be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, it's a want to really get control of dealing with money. You know, if, if people, if everyone feels a little bit of a something here, I'm pretty I know I do still. <laughs> you feel a little bit of something here where you're like, oh, man, really? Okay. But you also want to do something about it. Really want to do something about it and make a change and, and feel better. That's, this is when taking a workshop makes all sense in the world. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be a one-time thing. I mean, I encourage, you know, for, I encourage anybody to attend it multiple times, you know. Maybe you need it multiple times to resonate with just at least these methods of like working with yourself because it is, it's working with yourself internally to, to get to a place and um, you know, whatever means necessary that, that we can just turn inwards and, and feel better, give ourselves. It is a form of self-love and, and, you know, self-care, you know, and this, you know, and this is very gentle. I am not condoning. I am not, speaking down to anybody everybody has different methods and this is just simply some tools that maybe they'll work i really hope so and yeah. and then stop from there right and then that's it we continue to work in a small group capacity or on retainer or not at all at least you have tools that will help you and that's really all i care about to be 100 percent transparent like i don't even really have like my grandiose like this is how to rule the world business plan i really don't like i i just at this point in time, I just want everyone to feel better about money. I want everyone to just reconcile within themselves, like how we can change um, for the better and, and how we can feel less anxious, less overwhelmed, less fear, less shame, because it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I mean, we choose our own reactions. And so knowing that here's some methods to try to start to sh- I love that. And there's not a lot. I've never seen anything like this before. Now I've heard of like financial coaches and I've heard about, you know, get to 600,000 by the end of my four week course, but there's, there's not a lot of talk about, yeah, yeah, about mindset and your relationship and just taking the time to be like, why do I have this feeling about money? Why am I so reserve about it or or uh, there's always a lot of shame around money shame if you have it and shame if you don't um it's it's and that's got to be cultural um and how we're raised um i think that's really really powerful and i love that you you work with people at different levels you know they don't all have to be like uh, ready to go gung-ho and some might be still in that vulnerability stage and how you can work with them through that um, that's great. I don't know of anyone else doing that, talking about money this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. It's, it was honestly something as part of the backstory and lead up to this. It was always something that I had thought when I was looking for a CPA at any given point, or I was looking for a financial planner. I wanted some level of empathy on the other side. Someone to tell me, well, what is it? You know, when I have the question, what is this random tax thing that I got from you know, the BOE or the California Franchise Tax Board. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's like freaking me out. Like, what is this? And then to not be able to get a straight answer, 
from my CPA at the time, you know, calling, emailing, and then still nothing. And you're just like, you know, you're going through this like mental spin. You're just like, I don't know, am I going to get arrested? Like, I, I have no idea, no clue. And I always just wanted someone on the other end to be like, it's going to be okay. And here's why. Because it is, for the most part, always going to be okay. Most people I know aren't doing some crazy, you know, uh, organized crime situation. At least <laughs> I know. So it's going to be okay. And, right. and there are options always. And, and then we go from there. And that's it. And, and anybody that, any colleague of mine, um, or even, you know, people consider competition, but actually have many friends in this space who do exactly what I do. Um, you know, those are the only people I associate myself with, like many people who are there to talk to you and be a real person and, and give you an answer that doesn't, you know, just confuse the heck out of everybody. Um, right. Right. We're, we're, we're going to listen. And, and, and that's, and that's the importance of the work. That's not something that, you know, old school CPAs or, um, you know, financial people were, you know, taught to do. But in this environment and, and in 2020, especially, we need that. We need somebody who's going to be on our side. We need somebody who can listen to us more importantly. I mean, that's when I meet with clients, especially my clients on retainer, we spend a good portion of just even talking about like what, what's going on with the business because I do care. I want context for how we're running the numbers and how we're setting things up so that as we're pulling metrics, you know, whether it's monthly or quarterly or whatever, I can, I can put context around how that fits with what they're telling me. Okay, well, based on this passion project that you were looking to build out, this is what we're looking at, you know, and this is how this potentially impacts all of that. You know, it's, it's, it's being able to relate and, and ultimately just seeing through as much as possible the success of, of my client's work, because that is always going to be a direct reflection of my work at least in terms of what I can offer and, and provide. So, yeah, that's great. And when, um, other than naked finance, if someone wants to, I'm sure you work with entrepreneurs, small business owners, um, boutiques, you know, something very small, um, working with you now, you're not preparing taxes, right? You're right. You're, you're helping with the day-to-day bookkeeping, keeping the black column and the red column. and, and right. <laughs> It's, it's so it's a combination of the day-to-day accounting and bookkeeping. It is also business operations and systems. So any and and by that I mean being able to not only record keep all the financials, but overseeing the way that money is coming in and the way that money is going out, and making sure that everything is just kind of tightly connected as much as possible, so that in the record keeping process we get it to work like dominoes. And then that, and once that's set up, then I can do what I really got into this line of work for, which is ultimately to do deeper level reporting and to just try to understand how to, you know, solve for increasing cash flow or creating a budget around X thing or, you know, paying off, you know, larger liabilities. So, so that's where accurate record keeping kind of just essentially arms my team and I to be able to do our best job. And it's gotcha. all. I've also noticed um, as small businesses kind of become larger, maybe they get a, a, maybe their team is now up to 10, maybe up to 20 employees that they're 
on the cusp of hiring an, a full-time CFO, but they can't really afford a full-time CFO with benefits. How is there a way to be a part-time CFO? I actually get asked this question a lot um, in Facebook groups and everything like, I need a CFO, but I can't afford a CFO or to that give a, a, a piece of my business. No, part, so that's actually the next initiative outside of naked finance that I am starting to move into is part-time CFO work. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's actually more affordable because yeah, the, you think about the salary of a typical CFO, the salary of a typical CFO will run it's a lot. like 175 K plus yeah. full time. And then with small business. Yeah. Unless you have a partner with skin in the game who is a formal CFO type, <laughs> all right, which usually may or may not happen, but if not, or there isn't some already like board of executive directors where there is a finance facing board member to help with projections, then absolutely getting a part-time CFO is a hundred percent the way to go. And the way that I look at it, at least in setting it up with potential clients under that specific umbrella is we oversee all of the numbers. I mean, you know, and, and it's sort of like a mega version of what I'm doing for my clients on retainer. But then not only that, we're looking, we're looking at money every single week. Yeah. We're looking at what's coming in. We're looking at what's going out. We're looking at how much cash we have in the bank and running, running forecasts and financials all around that, you know? So um, it, yeah. it gets to be pretty in-depth, but then it's also essentially dealing with all the kind of like business, like operational almost things that people don't really want to deal with, like filings and renewals and all of that stuff that's just super stressful. A lot. It is a lot, especially if you're dealing with a lot of employees and now you're expected to make sure you make your quarterly reportings with your taxes and, and everything. Do you think, you know, would a business that say that's about to break 500 K 1 million consider getting a part-time CFO? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if there is no oversight on the financial side of the house, then you're sitting on a lot of money or maybe not as much money as you thought and wielding it around blindly is maybe just the worst thing you can do from a sustainability perspective yeah for sure and it's a, just a great way to protect yourself right to say like oh my cfo helped prepare this when exactly. especially if you're looking for investors or you know any kind of loans you they want to know if i'm going to invest in your company and give you you know a million dollars i want to know that there's a financial officer there to manage it and it's not just you and your new candle line i don't know yeah well, ex exactly i mean what's the viability of the business based on existing financials and and how can we you know, the CFO will make the projections around like what that potential looks like over the course of time and based on whatever marketing or, you know, outward facing efforts there are in place. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever, this is a, a, a random question. I just made me thought of it right now. When people are putting together a business plan or they're putting together a, a you know, a pitch deck for venture VC money or anything, has, have they ever asked you to put together a quick projection to add that piece to there? Do you ever do like I, freelance stuff like that? I, I have, and I've always turned them down. 
because putting together projections for VCs, it's, it's really, really specific, actually. Um, and while I can do it, I also am a big proponent for putting people in front of folks who are better suited to do it. And I am not the best person to do it. So actually, my colleague, um, who I did the PPP webinar with, who I am still doing PPP webinars with, um, she's actually ace at that. She's amazing at it. And, and that's actually the first person I would put in front of anybody that asked me. Actually, I've done that a couple of times now. So yeah. Oh, so uh, that's great. Yeah, she's really, really good. We, uh, you know, and, and we always joke around if we ever started a business together, it'd actually be pretty amazing because she's sort of like the very, very front end where if you're starting to get and build something where you need funding and you need liquid, then she can run all of those financial models around how to do that and get it facing, you know, to potential VC investors. And then once the thing is up and running and, and just going as it needs to, that's where as a part-time CFO, I can step in and kind you of just step in. manage the, the flow and the oversight of everything that is coming in and going out. Yeah, got you. And before that, they had to work with you to get their mindset to believe that they were capable of applying <laughs> for VC money. Before they were, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were just working on the meditations and kind of getting really, really vulnerable. Yeah. Naked. Naked. I love it. Well, and it's like the whole, you provide the whole thing then. It's like you get raw and naked with me and then I'm going to help clothe you. So when you get sexy AF to go into that VC and then afterwards, I'm going to help support you manage all that money you just got. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Now, um, let me ask you some carried away questions Um, really quick. How can we find out more about naked finance like where can we find you where can when's the next workshop do you have one on the calendar yet i do so the next one is june 12th so week friday um i would say right now the best place is instagram and then also my website i have a newsletter that i'm going to start pinging now that i've got people on there um and then eventually a website i that that the, the logo branding stuff for me isn't a problem it's just actually doing it um but yeah so that that is in the works i will just at least at the very very least put up like a simple splash page and sign up for the thing and yeah there you go yeah so I love that. so all the socials um instagram facebook my website for the newsletter Gotcha. And we'll put that in the, um, the Facebook group, everyone who's live in Facebook right now. I'll, I'll tag you in that comment, in the comment section, um, and to get on your email list so we can find out how to get naked about our money, which I love. Um, it's really great. How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> I did not come up with that name. I will not take any credit whatsoever for that name ever, ever, ever. If I, if I had to give royalties to these gals, I, I would. Absolutely. Um, so I went to, I believe this was part of this December retreat. Um, a few of oh. us went uh, except that you and I staggered days. We passed each other, yeah. We were like passing ships. And so two of this workshop, I arrive, and I believe it was it was Paige Ray, it was it was Marin, and it was Shana. And we were all, I like arrived and they were like, we have the best name for you. And at the time, I, you know, still hadn't put all the, like, right. they were, like, naked finance. And I was just, like, boom, dang, 
boom, done. I have to find a really good thing to match that name because it's so awesome. And yeah. here we are. I love it. I love it. See, it's come full circle because here was an idea. You just had to drive to a retreat. You got the name. I know. <laughs> It's amazing that I'm admiring anyone who's launched anything during this pandemic and or started a business. It was like, who wasn't stopped. Um, and just been like, like I wasn't had any plans to do this podcast until the fall. And then this kind of pushed me towards it. So I, I love that you went for it. I think it's great. Really, really great. Um, so I know you get carried away about money, but what's something else you get carried away about? Like, especially during, quarantine uh, how are you keeping yourself entertained books podcasts what are you doing dancing naked dancing not always so naked I mean but it, it does get really hot but I'm not naked <laughs> uh so dancing yeah uh, of course it's always like a catharsis you know uh activity for me or cathartic activity um so I'll dance working out just to get out the steam um I haven't been reading. I've been reading books around, um, I've been reading economics books lately. Gosh, Claire, so exciting. like you. So exciting. Um, but I have been really interested since the pandemic. I've been really interested in reading about alternative ways to run the economy. Not that I have any say in any of that whatsoever, but I'm interested in, what potential alternatives are, because I think that, you know, without getting too, too political in this moment, I think that there's just so many inherent issues with the way that our, I'm sure probably a lot of people agree with me in some way or shape or form, but, um, so I've been reading this book called Sacred Economics, um, by Charles Einstein. That's a really good one. Um, it does kind of start to teeter a little on the side of socialism. That's okay. I am not a socialist, just to be clear. But there are some ideas within the book that I do find interesting, um, you know, especially as it pertains to the history of any economy, right? And and I think I touched a little bit about this on the workshop, but, you know, we started from a gift economy, which then, you know, evolved into bartering, which now then evolved into, you know, coinage, actually cash. And now we're going off of like essentially a credit and interest-based economy. This is just like the very high-level evolution over the years. And my, my thought on it is like what, what within our current economic infrastructure can be changed that, that, that benefits, that benefits the smaller, smaller folks like us, small business owners, yeah. you know, but, but how can we start to institute and think about economy in this other way? Um, while we are technically in a capitalistic society uh, here in the U.S., I don't even really think it's that capitalistic to be, uh, to be completely honest. It's, we are operating completely under crony capitalism, and I'm not going to go into that whole diatribe, but it is. We are functioning and, and operating in a crony capitalist society, not to be confused with true, true. Yeah. So, what, what, what's the difference? I mean, honestly, the big corporations and, yeah. and having our essentially like hand, hands tied and cuffed and, you know, being just at their behest 
um, to all big corporations. I mean, let's talk about, you know, for two seconds, the bailout of United Airlines. Did they really need that bailout? I don't know. So uh, I think that a lot of those, you know, CEOs can do without, you know, having their houses in the Hamptons. I'm sorry, you can sell that house in the Hamptons. You can sell the second plane. It's okay. It's fine. You're going to survive. Whereas all of them... It's what influences politics is these major corporations. It's what influences our healthcare. It's what influences a cure. It's what influences racism. It's systematic corporations controlling all of us. And we think that we are the ones in control. No, we're not. Not. Why everything just reached a, a high volatile degree this past week. I, I get it. Like it's, it's so many things. And I think that honestly, if, if, if there are things that we can do individually and everybody is different, there are things that we can do that really shine our own best strengths. And, and, and how can we, you know, project that? How can we contribute that? You know, and I, in your case, right. you're, you're an educator. So how can you use that, you know, in the best possible way? And with me, it's systems and money. You know, what what can I do just to try to shake things up and rethink it? And it was, you know, naked. So the, yeah, so going back to naked, absolutely first step. But even now I'm thinking, you know, through naked finance or even if it is something else, like what other things I can do to help empower other folks so that we can get more organized so that we can stand on a stronger infrastructure that doesn't rely on the government's um, kind of just like dishing this out and we just only accept it for what it is, like, because we don't right. really, you right. know, we can arm ourselves. I agree. Um, I agree. And it's, it's, it means we have to take risks, right? We have to be brave enough to feel uncomfortable with relying on a brand we don't necessarily have known our whole life, like a, you know, like a United Airlines um, you know, if we, and that comes from also a place how we were raised and culture, oh, it's trusted, it's United Airlines or whatever. It could be any brand. It's Procter & Gamble. Well, it's okay. If we actually invest in smaller businesses that are, you know, go through, if not more vetting to get approval um, by the FDA, if they are a pharmaceutical company or if they're making perfume or if they're making makeup. You know, trusting in that these people have our best interests at heart. I can't honestly say I feel that way about large corporations. I don't think they have my best interests at heart. I think they have the dollar as their best interest. Always. Yeah. And it's like, if you look at Nike and Coca-Cola, and it's great that they're contributing money to different organizations and nonprofits but they really need to be contributing money to small businesses and bringing them up and supporting them. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's so complicated. And I know we won't solve it right here. Like we should, but <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. But it's, it's great that people talk about it and they can talk about it in naked finance. Like they can feel like I feel beaten down by the man, you know, how do I, how am I ever going to compete with these bigger brands, you know, like if you're a handbag line, how am I ever going to compete with Gucci? That all comes from a money mindset. Absolutely. The same absolutely. thing. No, it's, you know, I, the whole practice of just 
turning inward first and, and really reconciling whatever those, those hangups and those fears and those, you know, shameful, you know, just emotions. How can we, how can we reconcile with it so that we can let it go? We can release it and make this space for something better and, yeah. and progress within ourselves to do something that means something to be more productive and to really work from a place of love. I mean, yes. that's why we're small business owners in the first place is because we have something that we so deliriously believe in that people we want to share. And, and so, so how can we unblock ourselves to get to that point? Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. So. Well, it takes patience. I'll tell you that everyone's got to hurry up and wait <laughs> to get through all this stuff. <laughs> I love it. So really quick, before we wrap up, um, tell me about your alter ego, the burlesque yeah. dancing. I'd love to hear, not a lot of people know this about you. <laughs> you are a phenomenal burlesque dancer, and I've even taken a class from you, and it was so fun. <laughs> I know you can't be performing right now because we're all closed in. I'm waiting for the plexiglass stage maybe one day. I Gosh, I know. That whole world is changing, like, on a daily basis. So, yeah, my alter ego is mise en garde, which for any of you Frenchies or French speakers out there means caution. Um, yeah, I've been at it. I've been performing now for, well, up until the pandemic, it was exactly two years. So I'm actually at a dead stop of just two years performing, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun. I mean, I've traveled as far as Rome, Italy to perform and had the pandemic not hit us. I was actually supposed to be on a European tour of sorts. Um, and just having a go at it, performing in Italy and Spain and Germany, but say love you. It'll be, there'll be another time. Yes. That's right. I'll be on that plane. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, uh, just a fun soul feeding activity for me. I mean, if I wasn't such a type A person, I probably would have become maybe a professional dancer choreographer in another just parallel universe. I'm sure I am in another parallel universe. Um, but in this world, I'm just, you know, accounting. But but that really does give me some balance, a lot of balance and just sanity from not burning out on my work, which I know myself well enough to know that I would burn out yeah. if that was my only focus. Oh. But um, I think what's interesting about the burlesque, which I've always been fascinated by, is you must spend most of your day behind a computer, looking at spreadsheets and finite little details and numbers and, you know, all that. And then you have this just feathers and boas <laughs> and heels and makeup and you're just out there. And I just love it. <laughs> right? That's basically why. I mean, you on so many reasons. Like it was all of these things that I all I loved like I loved the jewels and I loved the feathers and I you know and it was as I got more and more into it I realized like oh this is where I can kind of put that energy this is where I get the excuse to buy and you know a six ply ostrich like feather boa like come on obviously amazing that's or like this is my chance to like make this insane costume that kind of like looks fashiony and just do all the things and then make a story out of it. It's, it's, it's so fun. It is, it, it's, it's, it's a form of just being able to recreate a story, you know, um, for me. And 
I love it. I love it so much because nowhere else can we do it so fully, you know, without, and and in burlesque, it requires, you have to be a little bit extra. And I've reconciled in the last two years that I have a tendency and I have always had a tendency to be extra. I've just kind of always suppressed it up until now. So so get it out there. I love it. Get it out there. It's so great. And um, when you would do your shows and you would be with the other dancers and you'd say, well, my other life, I mean, I'm a bookkeeper. I help work with women and small business owners. Were they kind of surprised? You know, there's actually a lot of gals who are performers who do it for, you know, like have full-time jobs. So it's not always surprising. Like one of my dearest friends in burlesque, she's an insurance adjuster. (laughs) You know, so we kind of just need that. We need burlesque and performing for our sanity. Um, You know, and it's nice to not unlike other performer friends of mine who do this full time, which I have so much respect for because it is a hustle. Like it is a hustle. You've got to be teaching classes and just really staying relevant and do, you know, like booking all the time where I'm just like, man, I book something cool. And if I don't, like I haven't really performed in two months. And, and while I miss it a lot, you know, I, I just don't, I'm just not really interested in doing online shows. It's just, it's the art is not that, that to me, it's not the art anymore. Right. Because um, it's the art of the tease, right? And you need an audience. And there's some level of, of, you know, energy exchange when you are in real life, you know, and on an actual stage versus doing it in a zoom room where you're like, cause I've done one virtual show since the pandemic and you know you're like at the end like mostly unclothed and then there's you just can't hear an audience like it's just like okay turn it off you know and i that, that's it's not my favorite i don't love it like I, I still love it there are ways to do it but um the ways in which i've seen done well kind of borderlines into the world of cam girls uh you know what i mean like yeah. it's not fully because there's like a lot of you know, X-rated craziness happening oh, yeah. at 17, but, but, it, but kind of, you know, because you've got to think about certain aspects like the lighting and the positioning of the can you know, and, and that's not burlesque anymore. The burlesque yeah. is moving around and, and really interacting and interchanging with people and feeling the audience and, and, and performing based on what you're receiving back. Whereas virtually you're, I mean, I'm getting that. And I'm sure every show is different, right? Because it depends on the audience, just like with a musician or a singer, you know, you're doing the same moves to the same music, but you may linger more with one person than you did with another, depending on the show and the vibe of the people there. Exactly. So it'll, I mean, my hope is it'll come back more than likely. And realistically, I don't think it will until 2021. So virtual shows it is, but Personally, I'm not really making any plays to try to be in any virtual shows for all state, you know, reasons stated, but, but for my, my girlfriends who are, you know, just hitting at it and, and really just keeping their name out there and relevant, you know, I'll support them gladly all the time. Yeah. 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 Rock on, rock on sisters. Um, that's amazing. The, um, maybe you should do TikTok. TikTok's big with dancers. No, it is. It is. I don't, you know, and I appreciate it, but like my issue with TikTok, 
Because I had so many people be like, dude, you'd be so awesome at TikTok. I can't, like, the, the output for the amount of effort that goes into it to do a good t- TikTok, because I've seen them. Yeah. And they, and there are some people who are doing amazing stuff, especially some of the burlesque girls that I am friends with. But the amount of effort for a three to four to five second output is not something I have time for. <laughs> just the I hair and makeup. Every day. And I will yeah. share them and, and whatever. But I, I just, I'm like, could I go from doing this, spending realistically an hour and a half to do hair and makeup? And that's when it's fast, right? An hour and a half to do hair and makeup. And then to do, you know, like film a, like a second, second and a half clip of me being like, boing, how cute am I now? You know, I, yeah. I can't. Like, I literally can't. Like, I'm just like, no, no, can't do it. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. I don't care how many followers I get. <laughs> but I love watching them. I mean, actually, there was a burlesque gal. She's the current queen of burlesque. Um, 2019, she did this thing with like an aspect ratio thing where she set up a teacup and she actually has a teacup act, a teacup that she's like physically in. Oh, she managed to line it up. This is maybe the best TikTok I've ever seen. Uh, I'll share it with you, but yeah, she, she, she lines it up where it's like super, super close. And then she's like in the background back here and she looks like she's like, on her teacup like doing all the things and I was like brilliant that's genius not only that but she was dancing to pour some sugar on me I was like yeah (laughs) yeah you're doing great she should do that (laughs) she should do that uh you know if I had more time if I was less busy with work absolutely I, I would take all the time for doing some fun stuff like that but yeah I love it I love it that's that's that you know how long that must have taken her to set up and rehearse and cue Brett Michaels a a long time like a long time like it's a lot it's a lot yeah and I just you know because I'll film videos and I'll do some edits and stuff to them but but the TikTok it it is also just the maintenance of, of preparing to do the, hey, I'm in the PJs. Now I'm like a little bit more ready. Now I'm super glamorous. Like that's just a lot of work. <laughs> Again, for a three second output that just flies through someone's face. Flies through. Then, and then what? And then what? And then, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> this is where I'm like definitely an older lady. Like, yeah, hey. same, same. So I've been looking into LinkedIn. So I've been looking, instead, I was like, okay, TikTok or LinkedIn? Which one am I going to optimize during pandemic? I'll go with LinkedIn. I can do it without a bra on. Um, because I can't get into TikTok. I don't have the, uh, it's like yeah. I have, it's like, it's too fast. I feel like I have ADD and I'm just like, ah, just can't do it. Not doing it. I'm with you. Stick yeah. to it. Um, <laughs> it's so great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Claire. I really, oh. I love seeing your face. Um, I miss not having you in my backyard on Wisdom Wednesdays. No. Soon, though. I, I know. Soon. I really hope so. Thank you for having me. This was lovely always. I'll take, I'll take Zoom over anything these days, you know, yeah. just any interaction and, and connection and yeah. anything really it's it's so so needed yeah especially, especially right now especially now and um, 
Uh, yeah. know, and, and for all the women and, and bra network that women of color in my network, I just want to make sure that I'm here for anybody who needs anything, who's watching this for you, Claire, for anyone, like how we can show up for each other. If I haven't thought of it, I'm open for suggestions. Totally. No, I think we need each other. Likewise and same. Yeah. Likewise and same. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much that can be done. And, and right now in terms of just all the social things that are happening, I really am kind of just looking at what my existing resources are within myself and then just people I know. And I'm like, how can I connect more dots to, to provide more empowerment around organization? Because that is something I can do. That is something that I have so much control of. It is an expertise. And, and how can we do that operationally? And how can I provide that to people who need it so that they can come out, you know, just, you know, gloves on and ready, right? And, and that's, that's really what I'm, how I'm looking at the events, especially from the last week. Yeah. Um, I think that's that way. So, so much more than a lot of people are doing. Because I think standing by idly saying, oh, somebody will fix that. Is, yeah. is, you know, it's so great to see a lot of people saying, wait a minute, we need to, how can I contribute to the change that needs to take place? What's in yeah. my scope? You know, um, so I think that's great. Just honestly, just making ourselves available and listening. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I can do is listen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we'll all deal with it like differently. We have our own methods of like coping with just the insanity. But then when we finally can emerge past the emotions and, and reconcile just what's happening, what within our power do we have control of that we can provide support assistance to? And I love that you've been just really putting it out there from the get-go, like just even before, even before the pandemic, even more so now, and then even more so like right now. So <laughs> thank you. I love that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just honored to be surrounded by such a supportive community and and, and likewise, if there's, you know, I, I'm really going to be making an active, taking an active role in just seeking out arenas and folks to collaborate with, Bailey, ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> to just provide more support in that way. Because I really do now think more than ever, it's important to just get organized and to protect ourselves. Yeah. And from an operational standpoint, from a financial standpoint, there are so many different little ways. And if I can just be an advisor or provide some assistance and support in that way to organizations that normally wouldn't have access to, you know, that level of organization or expertise, expertise yeah. a thousand percent, like that's, I, I will come, you know, I will show up and, and I will be there. I love that. I love that. So anybody out there building a nonprofit... <laughs> helping uh, fix the stigma that's being perpetuated here, Claire's your gal. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love it. Thank you so much, Claire. This has been great. Um, and stay safe. Stay Thank indoors. You. Wear a mask, I guess. Do Continue doing all the things. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Um, get naked with Claire uh, <laughs> at our next workshop, June 12th, but I'm going to put in the comments your um, handle to make sure everybody's following you and uh, to keep on tabs of you, especially with the burlesque. <laughs> I love it. Love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carried Away. I'm your host, Carrie Murray, founder of The Bra Network. You are listening and you are a female entrepreneur looking to be lifted and supported in your business endeavors. Head over to bra-network.com. We'd love to have you in our community and help push you up.